All right, so family, this morning we're going to jump right into the Word, and um, we're going to read a few scriptures out of the book of Genesis in chapter 44. So let's see if this thing will work for me, and we can read this together. So it says this, starting in verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. But Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not, even, they were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. And now, don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there'll be no plowing, no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it's not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. Last week, for those of you who were here and had the blessing of hearing uh, Robert's message from the book of Philippians, you know that he was talking to us about how the power that we have in Christ enables us to receive communication, interaction, feedback from people in a whole new light. It gives us a new perspective. He talked about the, the, what he called the paradox of power, right? The way up is down. He talked about how um, real true power is restraint rather than forcing our own will. True power is being able to hold ourselves back. And when we're rooted in Christ, it changes our attitude and our perception. So we're not trying to force anything, but instead, whatever comes our way, what he called a so what attitude. So what? God's in control. It's not going to change my life because he is the one who's guiding my steps. Not you or you or anyone else. No, no other circumstances. The Lord who is guiding our steps. We don't have to pr- prove anything because it's the Lord who's going to raise us up. It's the Lord who's going to bring us where he wants us to be. So today we're going to take a few minutes to look at the life of Joseph and see exactly how that idea, that paradox of power, played out in his life. So before we do that, let's uh, say a word of prayer together. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us your life, that you showed us what true power looks like when you laid down your life to save ours. Father, I pray that you would continue to ingrain this in our spirit so we can understand more of really who you are and what it means to live for you on this earth. We love you today, God, and we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, a friend of mine gave me a gift. It was really more of a gag gift than anyone else, anything else. And uh, it's this little book, and it says, look, it's Jesus. And inside this are dozens and dozens of images of what they call uh, holy appearances, special divine appearances of where God or, or Mother Mary or Joseph just appeared in nature, right? And so um, I 
thought it was pretty hilarious, so I actually wanted to put up a couple here for you to see yourself. This here is meteorite Jesus. There was a man in Texas that this meteorite fell out of the sky, and somehow on there, I think it's kind of tilted to our left, there's supposed to be eyes and a nose, and he says, that's Jesus. Look, it's Jesus. <laughs> and so this, this rock has been valued. He was been told it was valued at ten dollars to $15,000. But for him, this man, he says, this is a miracle. Like He has no intention of selling this. This is Jesus making an appearance to him, right? Here's another one. This is, I don't know if you can make it out. <laughs> this is couch stain Jesus. <laughs> so <laughs> there was a guy that, um, I think they're in, in Florida, and they had this stain that was incessant in this couch for years. And he's, he was doing spring cleaning one day, and he's like, that's it? Today's the day I'm getting rid of the stain. So he went and scrubbed and scrubbed with his cleaner, and when it dried out, Jesus' face appeared to him. And to him, this was Jesus making his appearance. And he said, it's so meaningful because my wife and I were recently converted to Christianity. So this is just kind of like enforcing what the decision that we just made to live for Christ. He's with us all the time. <laughs> okay, couch name Jesus. <laughs> this here is a tree root. And they, so they call this tree root Joseph holding baby Jesus. So you can see Joseph on the right, and he's holding little baby like this, baby Jesus. This woman is wandering through her yard, and she looks down at some of the roots sticking through, and all of a sudden, it's Jesus. There he is. <laughs> so she had a friend come over and actually cut carefully and remove that root from the ground, and now it's enshrined in a glass case in her house. It's Jesus. This is a miracle to her. He appeared, right? This one kills me. This is grilled cheese Mother Mary. So, <laughs> you're not going to believe this. This woman, this woman living, oh, where is she from? Florida, was it? Anyway, she's making herself, she's hungry, this older woman. She makes herself a nice grilled cheese. She takes a bite. She looks, all of a sudden, there's a woman looking back at her. She's about to bite into her, and she realizes, oh, it's Mother Mary. And so she was shocked. She was blown away. This is, this is a divine appearance. So she took this very seriously. So she put it in a plastic bag and put it in her freezer for nine years. And she said, I can't, this is special. We can't let this rot away. We can't lose this. But after nine years, she changed her mind and decided to put it on eBay. And it ended up selling for $28,000. Can you imagine? Twenty For a bitten piece of grilled cheese. <laughs> Wow, it's so crazy. It's so funny how people see these random images and all of a sudden it's so meaningful to them. Like there's meaning in that. It's, it's an appearance. It's a reminder that God is with me. He's here. And so whether or not it's really the Lord or something other, like to them, they see God. And so there's something that they feel a closeness to God. It's reminding them. They're, they're looking for him. So regardless of how we look at it, the message is there for them, and they're receiving it. I remember when I had one of my first, look, it's Jesus, moments. I don't know if you, any of you have had this. And Dad, you might remember this because I was a little boy. I was maybe 10 years old. And um, we had a small little yard that my dad would always cut. And he was teaching me how to mow the lawn. 
So for the first time, he was showing me how I could now mow the lawn by myself. Like, whoa, I'm going to control this powerful motor and you feel, feel pretty significant at that point. So he's showing me how to use this thing, but it's a tiny yard. We had just an electric mower, so it, just, it gets plugged in and you just drag the cord around the yard. So now he was emphasizing the importance of watching out for the cord at all times so that you don't get electrocuted and break the lawnmower and, and all this. And so I'm like, all right, got it, Dad. I'm off to the races. And he goes back in the house. And I'm going up and down the lawn, and that satisfying feeling, one row at a time, the grass getting nice and cleaned up, and it's looking good. And all of a sudden, of course, it happened the first time using it, right over the, right over the cord. And as soon as I notice it, I pull it back. I'm like, oh. And the cord didn't get caught by the blades. It didn't get sucked up into the blades. Look, it's Jesus. <laughs> to me, that was one of my grilled cheese Mother Mary moments where God is reminding me, I'm with you. I'm not letting you hurt yourself. I'm not letting you cause damage to these things. I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, I don't know, for, for each one of you, you may have your own stories of, look, it's Jesus, your moments where God is just giving you that reminder, he's with you. And to people on the outside, they might look at this and say, it's just happenstance, it's just a random chance. And Okay, that's fine, you can say that, but that had meaning to me. Like that speaks into your life. So nobody can disqualify where God is speaking and showing you he's present, he's with you. When we look at the life of Joseph, it's so impactful when we look from, from his teenage years up through his adulthood, the way that he saw God in every circumstance of his life. He did not allow all of the, the trials that came his way from being betrayed by his own family, thrown into a pit, put in slavery, thrown into prison, betrayed by people, forgotten by the world. And he continued to look to the Lord and, and say, God, you are in control of my life. And what God was able to do with that when he just moved wherever God put him, even when it meant pain, even when it meant heartache and sorrow, he moved with the Lord. He didn't try to fight it. And then in just the right time, the Lord raised him up. We know that. Um, so jumping back to the story, let me give a little bit of context for the story of Joseph. For those who maybe need to brush up or maybe haven't even yet heard it. So Joseph is the son of Jacob. He's the great-grandson of Father Abraham, right? And he's, he's the 11th of his son, and at the, at the time, he was the baby, the youngest of all of them. And so Joseph was also his dad's favorite. Out of all of his 11 sons, Joseph was the favorite son. And there was no qualms about it. This wasn't kind of like, oh, yeah, he seems to kind of favor him. His father, Jacob, put it right out there, like literally clothed him with a special coat that made him stand out from all of his brothers. Like, you are my chosen one. You are the favorite. And so th all this did was feed into the hostility that his older brothers already had on their baby brother, and they couldn't stand his guts. They had a hard time even just being with him because he was so favored, and they didn't have that favor from their father. And so the story goes on. There's this tension and turmoil amongst the brothers. While jo Joseph is still young, he starts to have these weird dreams, which is showing in his dreams, it's showing all of his brothers and even his parents bowing down and honoring him. And so this, this only gets his brothers even more angry. And even his father even rebukes him at this point. Like, this is not honorable, saying that your parents are going to bow down 
to you, especially in that culture. That's, that's dishonorable. You don't talk about those kinds of ideas. It's not right. So he goes ahead and he tells the family these dreams, and that gets them all upset and up in arms even more. And then finally, when Joseph was 17 years old, everything, all the tension kind of came to a head. All of his brothers, they finally decided that they were going to do something about their feelings towards him. How many know what, when things in your life start to get shaken up, you can, be, you can believe that God is at work? He's just starting to put things in motion. When things start to change and things get a little uncomfortable, God is doing something. He's realigning you. He's beginning to change and set things up. And it's not comfortable and it's not fun, but it's a process. He's taking us to a place. And so this is where Joseph finds himself. His brothers were all out caring for the flocks um, a a long journey away from their home. And And his father sends Joseph to go check on him, go see how your brothers are doing. And as he's traveling there, they see him off in a distance and they said, that's it. Today is the day we're going to do away with him. So they're going back and forth about what they want to do. Let's kill him. Let's throw him in a pit. They end up throwing in that pit for a while. And then they see that a bunch of traders, Ishmaelite traders, were wandering, passing by. And they said, hey, if we're going to do away with him, let's at least make something on it, right? Make some $28,000 off our grilled cheese, Mother Mary. They said, let's make a profit. And so they did. They pulled him up out of the pit. They sold him to these Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And it was done. They took that special coat that his dad had given him. They rubbed it all in an animal's blood and, and brought it back to their dad and said, I don't, know th- I don't know, do you recognize this coat? We found this in our travels. And of course, Jacob, their father, said he must have been torn to, p- to pieces by a wild animal or something. That was the last that he saw of his son. So Joseph finds himself from one day to the next, happily with his, with his family. He's at home and a teenager. He's literally 17 years old, just going to check on his brothers. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's ripped out of his home. He's, he's on his way to a foreign land where he can't even communicate with people, completely alone, unsure of what his destination is going to be. Can't imagine the, the absolute horror and hopelessness that he must have been feeling as that just lost little teenager. But even through that experience, he didn't lose himself. And he didn't lose control. The scripture makes that clear that he maintained his faith in God and he accepted those circumstances that were given to him. Genesis 39 verse 6 says this. He was sold into Potiphar's house who was a dignitary in Egypt, a leader in Egypt. And in that man's house, his name was Potiphar, it says that Potiphar left everything that he had in Joseph's care because with Joseph in charge, He didn't have to concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. Even in that position of slavery being sold into Egypt, Joseph understood God is in control. And here I am. I'm going to work diligently. I'm just going to do my best and be who he made me to be and just accept it one day at a time to the point where he's elevated in that house and his master didn't concern himself with any of the house dealings because Joseph had it under control. He was responsible. He was honorable. And then things got shaken up again. Things began to get activated in his life again when God was at work because Potiphar's wife decided that she had a thing for Joseph. He's looking good and she wanted to do something about it and he said it's not going to happen. 
So when he refused to be with her, she went to her husband and accused Joseph of coming on to her. And that's all he, Potiphar needed to hear. He threw him in prison and that was it. He was in the dungeon, in the, in the, the dungeon where it says that all of the palace um, prisoners would go. So there he is. Things get shaken up again. And he's in prison. And even there, it says again, that similar statement. The warden put him in charge of the other prisoners. And it says in verse 23, the warden paid no attention to the th- anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in anything that he did. So even in prison, he was put in charge and the warden didn't have to worry about anything. So here he is, a victim, again by his brothers, a victim again by Potiphar's wife in prison. And even in that position, he didn't come and feel sorry for himself, but he maintained his faith and was a faithful steward for where God put him. He saw God and he said, this doesn't make sense, but here I am and so here I will be. And he maintained that focus. He's stuck in that hopeless situation. As the year's going, it just seems like a worse situation keeps getting worse and worse and worse. It's not getting brighter. Uh, I remember that statement that um, Robert said last week. He said, the way up is down. Well, Joseph was on his way up because he was going down, down, and down. Things were getting worse for him. Until one day. Pharaoh has some dreams. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, goes to all of his wise men and his interpreters, his advisors. He said, what does this mean? I know this has some kind of meaning. No one has any clue about what to do with it. And now he gets word, Pharaoh gets word that Joseph is able to interpret dreams. He calls him up from prison and Joseph interprets that dream. And not only interprets the dream, he tells him what it means, but he also tells him what to do about it and how to plan for the future. He tells him that years of abundance are ahead. And you need to save that abundance because years of famine will follow. And so he, tell, he, get, he even gives Pharaoh a plan of what to do and how to respond to this. And Pharaoh looks at him after he makes these statements. And in Genesis 41:37, this is Pharaoh's response. Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? The Pharaoh of Egypt recognized the spirit of God in Joseph, the prisoner. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. In just a moment, he went from behind bars in prison to being in charge of the most powerful nation in the world in a moment's happening. He saw God in everything, and that allowed him just to flow in the current of God's presence, in the current of where the Lord is taking him, and that day he arrived at the purpose, at the intention, so that God could raise him up and then use him for special intentions. It's so important that we, we recognize that God is in control of all things at all times. It's a doctrine called sovereignty. God is sovereign, control of all things, all time. And that includes the times where we're happy and content and things are going well. And it includes the times where we're suffering. God's in control. 
Now, we know that his plans are to increase us, give us abundance, to bless us. His plans are to raise us up. But the way to that destination doesn't always look like what we would assume, or certainly not what we would want it to be. It's a different path that's been charted out for us. Proverbs 16.9 says this, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So whatever we do and whatever intentions that we have, that's all well and good. But the Lord's purpose is going to prevail in our lives. He's going to see that our steps are ordered by him. And that's when it's intentional by us and when it's unintentional. We're not so great. We shouldn't think so highly of ourselves that we can throw ourselves off of God's intention for our lives. This is, this is the Lord. So our challenge is to accept the course that he sets for us and everything else that comes with it. Not to try to buck the system, not to try to find the shortcut, but just accept what he brings our way. For Joseph, his course meant years of heartache and hardship and uncertain future. He was 17 when he was sold into slavery, and the Bible says that he was 30 years old when he was raised up into power in Pharaoh's palace. 13 years he endured of this sorrow and of this heartache. And now another nine years pass with him ruling in Egypt before this where we jump into the story, where his brothers come before him. They appear before him. They're there during the, the great world famine that forced everyone to come to Egypt for food because they were the only place that had food stored up. So his brothers are forced because of the famine to come, and they see Joseph. And they didn't recognize him at first, but we're jumping into the story at the, at the time where he made it. he told them who he was. He revealed himself. And we'll see in this passage there are three statements that he makes to them. Three statements that he makes to them. And there's the, th- the things that we can learn from this shows us when we trust in the sovereignty of God, the demeanor and the perspective that we can walk with every day. The first one is this. He said to his brothers, now, don't be distressed. They're standing before now the second most powerful person in the world, realizing it was their fault that he was put in slavery and put in prison, and now the tables have turned. They don't have the power any longer. Now he has the power to, do, to force them to do whatever he wants. And so it says that they were terrified. So he, he says this in verse 5, Now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Why? Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Now, if we look at their situation in the natural, we say, his brothers turned their back on him. They sent him to that country. But if we elevate our perspective, we can say, as Joseph said, God sent me here. It is God who has sent you where you are. You might not see where that's leading to because it's in a process. You're just in one of the steps on the way towards where he's taking us. But I love what he says here. The, what he opens up is this. Don't be distressed and don't be angry. Here's Joseph comforting the ones who sold him into slavery. Comforting them. Imagine coming face to face with the people 
who single-handedly turned your life upside down. The emotions, the mix of emotions that you'd be feeling. It were, and it was uncontrollable for Joseph because it says multiple times he had to depart from them and he just lost it in tears. All of these things coming bubbling to the surface from years ago. But instead of being angry at them, instead of criticizing or even questioning, why did you have to do that? No, no. That had no meaning at this point. He lovingly comforts them. He reassures them it had to be this way. And by the way, it wasn't you that did this. It was God. And there's purpose in it. He wasn't living with a victim mentality. He wasn't seeking revenge, hoping you know, ill will would happen to them. There was no bitterness in his heart towards them. He looked at his brothers with compassion and said, don't feel bad. He looks back on his past and everything that he went through, and he was able to say, so what? So what? There's more. It's not about me. There's more than what meets the eye. He knew what it meant to really feel that true power was restraint. And he restrained himself. So here is Joseph comforting his brothers, and it shows us that when we see God in our circumstances, it moves us from victims, thing happening, everything's happening to me. Oh, it moves us from a victim mentality to people giving comfort. It, seeing God moves us from needing comfort, needing help, to the ones that are giving the help and giving that comfort. Per, the, the most powerful example we think of this is where Jesus literally on the cross dying minutes from his death and he looks at the ones who did this to him, the perpetrators, and what does he do? Father, forgive them. He looks upon them with compassion in the midst while they are still doing this to him. It wasn't even years later. He's in the moment. God, forgive them. They don't even realize what they're doing. He didn't play the victim. He was on that cross hanging there for a reason. There's greater purpose. And everything that we face in this life, good, bad, indifferent, with purpose, we have to see God. Where is Jesus working? Where is he working? And when you can't see it, now we believe by faith. And that's why it says we don't walk by sight. Because most of the time, it will not make sense. But can we be in, in the trial before it turns for our good, before Joseph is elevated to power? Can he be in that prison and saying, I trust in God? While he's still there, blessing his brothers from prison before you see where it's leading to. While we're in the midst of the trial, can we get to that place? Can we get to that place where we elevate our thinking and say, it's not that person, it's not that entity, it's not this circumstance, it's God and I'm just trusting, I'm waiting. Can we elevate our focus and see God in the moment? We're not subject to any person. We're not subject to these circumstances. We're subject to God. Joseph saw this, and this is why wherever he found himself, he worked diligently. Because just like it says, I think it's in the book of Colossians, he did his work as unto the Lord, because it was God who put him there. And so when he worked, he worked for the one who put him there, the Lord. And if, as we know, it worked out for his good, for his blessing. The second statement that he makes is this. 
Again, reminding them. In each of these three statements, I love the fact that he's reinforcing, God sent me. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And so he's telling them here, again, God sent me here. Like, if I'm going to keep knocking on the door, eventually it's going to break through and you're going you're to get it. God sent me here. So first he comforts, and now he's giving them encouragement, saying there is purpose in this. You had no intention, you had no clue that you were being used by God to get me here and really save your own lives. But I'm telling you that now. I'm telling you that now there is purpose in this. See, when we look at people and what or, or situations we can, and, and it comes and it's, it's hurtful, we can say, so what, when we're, when we're um, grounded in Christ. But when we're looking to God and say, I see you in this, now there's always a so that. There's always a so that with God. There's always purpose. And we have to believe that by faith, knowing that he's going to bring us to that destination. Whatever place that we're at in life, there is a so that. And even if we can't finish that sentence and the sentence stops at so that, yes, what are you doing here, God? I I don't see any hope in this. It doesn't make any sense. Well, the sentence is still being written, and it will. It will. But walk as if it has already been done because God is taking us there. See, following God's leading, it's not a forceful thing. It's not a fight that we have to do. Oh, I I need to follow God. No, he's sovereign. We can't think so highly of ourselves that we can throw ourselves off track of what God wants us to be. It's not a forceful thing. It's really a restraint of our own will. It's a release, letting go of our own desire, letting go of our own comfort, as if that were to come first. So, I would have to pose this question. If we're struggling, we may very well be facing the wrong direction. God's, person, God's purpose prevails in every person's life, and it can happen through you, or it can happen against you. His purpose is going to prevail. So the question is not, is the purpose going to prevail? It's going to matter. It's a matter of this. Is it going to happen through or against you? And what that depends on is this. Which way is your heart facing? What are your intentions? Are we looking to God with an open heart? Are we looking to our comfort, pleading? He's moving us this direction. We're looking back. Things were so good. I wanted this. We're looking in the wrong direction. He's saying, no, I'm taking you something better. I have more for you if you just let Go of your will and trust mine for you. It's so much better. There's so much more beyond. See, Joseph's purpose here was to save lives. And it took him going through these trials for years. The first time that he saw those brothers, he was 39 years old. It was 22 years after they traded him in and sold him for slavery. 22 years later. And the purpose was that, to save their life and the lives of the rest of his family. See, when we see God in everything, we can bless those even who persecute us because we know we're not subject to them. We are subject to God, and God is going to do in our lives the the things that he intends even through that. Don't fight it. We're not here to fight. The fight's been won. God has been victorious, and he gives that to us. Let him lead us to that victory. 
I feel like our, our, inside of us, there's always this fight, like, no, it's going to be this way. I know this is right. And we try to make this stance. And God's saying, no, it's my way. Just trust me. Let me fulfill the will in your life. It's better than the one you're trying to achieve for yourself. See, when we see God in a situation, we're able to look forward towards a purpose instead of back towards what we wanted and lost. Look forward. Look ahead. We're on a journey. We're going to a place. The last statement that he made was this. He says, again, so then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of Egypt. See, Joseph's, Joseph's theology of God's sovereignty in his life is what guided the attitude of his heart. So no matter what came his way, it didn't shake him to the core. His core, his foundation was firm, immovable, because it was the Lord. He understood who it was that was directing his steps. He understood, brother, your favorite verse, all things work for the good of those who are called. It all works together. And we see that that was in action long before it was written by the Apostle Paul. See, he was able to accept the situation that God put him in, And in that situation, thrive, not just survive through those years of slavery in prison, but he thrived in that place. And then the Lord raised him up. See, God lowered Joseph for a purpose, and then he raised him up for a purpose. That statement that Joseph uh, Robert made last week, the way up is down, like that, that's like the definition of the life of Joseph. For decades going down so that in just the right time, God could raise him up. And it says here to them, he says that God has made me a father to Pharaoh. A father to Pharaoh. So the most powerful man in the entire world at the time God has put Joseph, this Hebrew, which, by the way, Hebrews could not even eat. Egyptians thought it was detestable for Hebrew to, to eat with a Hebrew. They couldn't eat together at the same table. Not only Hebrews, but shepherding was considered an abomination, being a shepherd. And this is what all the Hebrews were. They cared for flocks. This was detestable to the Egyptians. The, the, the shepherds lived in a separate section of Egypt. And here is Joseph a shepherd, a Hebrew, now ruling in Pharaoh's household. Only God can do that. And only God knew what it needed to take, what it was going to take to get him to that place. So not only is he living in Pharaoh's palace, but he's a father to Pharaoh. In other words, he's one of his advisors. He's held in reverence by the Pharaoh himself. When Joseph spoke, the Pharaoh listened and submitted to his word. It's mind-boggling what the Lord can do when we let go of our will and just see him in it and let him guide us. And he became a father, a father to Pharaoh. See, everyone alive is a son or daughter by default, right? The moment that we're coming into existence, there we are. We're a son or daughter. But not everyone is a parent. Parenthood is something that is, that's achieved. It's a position of authority or influence, uh, and there's a responsibility that comes with it to guide and to teach. 
to comfort. This, this place of parenthood, this is where I believe the Lord wants to bring all of us. He's leading us to this place, raising us up, where now we are able to carry his influence everywhere that we go as that father or mother figure with authority, not in ourselves, but in the one who is in us. He wants to raise us up and take us to this higher ground. And it happens as he leads us in the current, in his plan. We have to allow him to take us to that place. Seeing God in everything helps us with that, helps us to move with him and allows us to be raised up at just the right time. This is what I want to leave us with today. It is God who has sent you. Wherever you are today, wherever he will bring you tomorrow, it is God who has sent you. In closing, I, um, I thought about, <clears throat> I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking about um, a few months ago when I was over at um, Jake Alves' house. We were over there, we had something to eat, and before I left, he said, oh, come, come check this out, I want to show you my, my VR headset. Anybody ever do a, try the, the virtual reality headset? A couple people? So <clears throat> he puts this on, and for those of you who don't know what that is, it's, it's basically a headset. It straps onto your head, and there's this whole visor. All you're looking into is this screen that's right here, and it's all 3D. So when you're looking at it, all of a sudden you put it on, you're in another world. You're literally living in another world. So I, like, I turned into Spider-Man, and I was on the top of a th three-story building, and you're like looking over, and it's like you're literally standing on top of a, a, um, a tower in New York. Like, it's like you're going to fall over. And it's crazy how that changes the perception of reality. Like that's a new reality you just inserted yourself into. And so you put this on, and I'm, I was even playing the game a little bit, and I ended up falling into his coffee table because I'm walking around, I'm in this world, I'm on a building, right? But no, no, I was in Jake's living room <laughs> breaking his furniture. <laughs> and it's crazy. If you go, you can actually hop online, you can see like countless videos of people putting these, these VR headsets on, and I mean, they're there like running into walls, falling and breaking furniture, hurting themselves because they put that on, and now they're living according to what they're seeing, not actually according to the reality around them. But it's hilarious for all the people standing around watching, like, look at that idiot. He just literally ran into the wall. <laughs> and the reason I thought about this is because, see, for us as Christians, we see God in everything. Not because there's something there that doesn't exist, but now we're seeing true reality. We're seeing what's been there all along, but we've been oblivious to it. For us as Christians, we realize he's in control of it all. And that gives us a new sense of reality. It's a new way of life. When we see him, and then we move according to that reality, not the one that we were seeing in the natural. There's more. There's deeper. He's trying to take us to new places. It's God who has sent us where we are. It's not a false reality, but it's a true reality. I think about Ephesians chapter 6, where it says that the, um, the war that is waged against us, it is not against earthly opposition or adversary. 
It is against the spiritual powers. It's a spiritual reality that many times we're not seeing because I'm just seeing what I can feel and touch and smell. But this is a reality that is around us at all times. And when we live according to that spiritual reality and see God in it all, we're allowing him to take us to places that we couldn't go without him. We're, he, we're allowing him to show us things that we couldn't see without him putting on his proper perspective. God is in it. God has sent you. God is taking you to the place. We have to be careful not to overestimate how things appear in the natural. But instead, um, don't, let, don't, let, don't let the things that we see here in the natural carry too much weight, knowing that there's more and a, a situation can change in a moment, just the way it did for Joseph. In a day, he went from prison to power. For us, the Lord can do the same exact thing when we see him, watch him, and follow him patiently. Let's pray together. Father, today, we look to you. Today, we open our eyes to see you and you alone. We acknowledge, Lord God, that you are the sovereign one. We acknowledge that you are in control at all times. And we just ask this, will you give us the strength to submit to you? Will you give us these reminders, Holy Spirit, in the times where we begin to get caught up into our circumstances, will you give us these reminders, that gentle nudge in these times when we need it, that you are the one that sent us, that you are the one that is leading and guiding us. You will never leave. You will never forsake. You are in it at all times. So we do, God, we do surrender to you. Our hope is in you. And we look forward anticipating to the place that you are leading us into. We love you and we honor you, Lord Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen.